0: The Talking Points with the Training Center starts now.
1: Hello, thank you for joining the Talking Points with the Training Center. I'm Dan Kabuling, owner of IDP Training and lead strength and movement coach in the Training Center. I'm joined by Eric Wagley, owner of Dub Baseball and the owner of the Training Center, along with Ryan Rosella, director of player development uh, in the TC. Our t- topic of discussion today is constructing and an developmental hitting environments. We are joined by two very special guests today to help us in this discussion. Um, Tiger, if you want to go first and kind of just introduce yourself, give us your background, um, kind of your experience.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm originally from Palo Alto, California. Uh, Played my college ball at University of Pacific and was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2013. Um, I played four years professionally before I got into coaching. Um, Started my coaching career with Major League Baseball in Taiwan. Um, After that stint, I coached at a D2, Hawaii Pacific University. Um, and then moved on to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Um, in the summer, I managed in the California Collegiate League and in the Northwoods League. And then I started my coaching career professionally with St. Louis last year um, as a high hitting coach. And then this year was uh, slotted to be the Double A hitting coach in Springfield. Um, so yeah, that's a
1: short snapshot of playing and coaching. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Um, Chris, you want to kind of just give us your background, your experience?
3: Yeah, yeah. So grew up in uh, Valencia, California, Um, went to UC Santa Barbara for college, Um, drafted by the Cincinnati Reds, Um, spent seven years with them, went to the Marlins for a year, and then finished my career um, with the Cubs, my last two years with the Cubs. Um, Got some major league time up and down for four years um, and got out of the game, went back to school, finished my degree, coached at UCSB. Uh, for a season, um, and then uh, went and worked at Sparta Science, actually, up in the Bay Area by you guys. Um, Worked there for about 10 months, and then baseball came calling me back. Um, Was a rookie ball hitting coach in 17 with them. Um, Jumped up to AAA after that the next season, and then um, got an opportunity to take over the department as the hitting coordinator the last
1: two years. Awesome. Awesome, and I think you guys are both gonna provide a ton of uh, great content and, and uh, as we kind of just dive into this constructing the developmental hitting environment, so the first talking point that we wanna start off with um, is really what is a constraints led approach? Uh, what is the value of it? The type of constraints, environment, these are some things we'll dive into and I, I kind of just bring it up uh, as we go, but if you just wanna kind of start with um, you know, what is a constraints led approach? Uh, Tiger, I know this is a big thing for you, so I'll I'll have you kind of kick this one off.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Using constraints to your benefit um, as a hitter, um, individually and the environment as a coach, um, is definitely crucial. Some different, you know, that we use and have seen used um, plyo balls. Um, I saw this first when I was working over at Stanford in the fall, but. uh, they really like using the pile balls and Jack Martyr was the one that kind of introduced me to it. But uh, you can really see, you know, if you're scoring it up. Um, and if you're not, then obviously you're going to get, you know, the ball's just going to kind of dud or like kind of just spin off the barrel, but it really gets you to work like through the baseball. Um, overload, underload bats, again, um, you know, constraints, kind of work on some bat speed. Um, the heavy bat, especially, um, has been good just for, you know, getting guys to use kind of their bigger muscles to swing the barrel or to swing the bat, excuse me. Um, and yeah, that's been one of the, one of the constraints that a lot of guys kind of take a liking to, um, cleans up a lot of different things. Um, so yeah, those are just a couple of the constraints that we use, um, as far as like implements. Um, but then you can definitely get into, uh, Constraints on the field or in the cage, um, in the training environment, um, but yeah, I don't. We can dive into those a little bit later.
1: Cool, Chris. Is there anything as far as kind of uh, how you've applied this and how you use it?
3: No, I mean to really, really, to kind of to echo Tiger, you know, kind of same same type of things. You know, really just kind of creating that environment and the culture that um, you know you want for these guys to to have results in. Um, you know, as as game-like or as you know competitive as possible
1: yeah i think uh kind of creating that environment um you know ryan and eric if you guys want to talk kind of a few seconds with um how how you guys have done that in the tc I, i think you guys our other guests deal with a little bit older population and this is kind of a question i want to spin out to all of you guys with these new implements, with something that's always new, I think with the younger crowd, there's a the adoption is a little bit quicker and faster. Uh, is that something you guys kind of seen in the training center versus your older players are like, well, why am I going to swing at these squishy balls? This is this is stupid. Like, why am I why am I doing this? Is that something you guys have experienced uh, in the TC? Yeah,
4: I mean, really, it kind of boils down to motor learning and, and understanding how the brain works and. Um, you know, if we're able as coaches kind of to provide them the environment where they're just going to learn through the constraint and through the task, then that's going to be the most valuable thing for them long-term as we kind of develop young athletes. So, I mean, we've used a ton of stuff in the TC, and we have all the weighted bats. We have all the plow balls, and we use, use those regularly. I mean, even on the field, we're we, we, uh, very regularly in BP. We, we set up every net on, on pull side, and, and we tell them that, if the, you know, basically don't hit the net, you know, no pull side ground balls and stuff like that just to kind of give them, um, some feel for uh, and push them towards the really the task we want them to accomplish. So that's definitely kind of the base of how we teach hitting in the TC. Yeah,
0: and the constraints definitely can be a, a positive for us because we don't have to be there holding hands on players. We can give them more of a, an external focus with some of these constraints um, and allow them just to focus on, on doing that. Um, you know, a lot of that comes down to some self-organization, um, some different things on how their body works and how they can understand movements. Um, Obviously, we're always there to help and and help them understand the how and the why of some of of what's going on, but to give them that opportunity to utilize those constraints to to make the adjustments on their own is really big for their their own motor learning, like Eric was talking about, Uh, and giving them that opportunity to to keep growing as as players.
1: Chris, is that something with with your your more extensive experience as far as as these new implements, these new methodologies are kind of being introduced and maybe they're not new. Maybe it's just like, you know, the new, the new trick in the, in the, bo- uh, in the bag. Uh, have you run into that issue as far as kind of that creating that culture of like, like we're going to use these to get, make better hitters?
3: Yeah. You know, I, I think it, it starts with like, like you said, the ethos of things, right? Like this is, this is the direction we're going to go. We're, we're going to use, you know, X, Y, and Z tools to, to get there. Um, I would actually argue that a lot of our older guys, um, kind of buy into a lot of that stuff because they're right at that point where they want to get that one percent better where it gets them to the big leagues you know some guys might push back you know like why am I hitting a plyo ball or why am I using a pvc pipe or doing whatever it may be you know because it's a little more foreign to them but I think the the adaptation for those guys comes a lot quicker than some of our lower level guys that you know are still you know like deer on ice you know it takes them a little bit longer to to, to make those adjustments where the our upper level guys they they have that ability already
1: I think it's a that's an awesome point because I guess that maybe that's the the common theme between the young athlete and the older athlete is they're both in these positions of desperate for getting better, yeah where maybe that athlete in the middle is like i'm comfortable like i've I've made it, I'm good i'm like i I've got this figured out um, have, tiger, have you run into that experience with with some of the the tools and and things that you use
2: yeah, definitely I mean, I think Chris kind of nailed it but creating that culture and um, and that buy-in um, is definitely important. You know, you get some of the older guys to buy in um, and, you know, some of the guys that are, you know, the leaders or your top prospects, and then everybody kind of follows suit. So um, I think being able to create the culture in that environment that you want, and once you get, you know, a couple guys to buy in and get some results, and it kind of has that overall effect on a lot of other guys. Um, so anyways, that's kind of what I've seen. <laughs>
4: We're we're
3: not going to like mandate anything on anybody, you know, like we're going to, we're going to put all of it out there. And if you want it, great. If not, you know, it's your career at the end of the day. Like you're the one that's going to have to go take those at bats. Like, you know, we're going to lay out player plan. We're going to lay out all the drills, all the constraints. We're going to, you know, here's your plan. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're the one that ultimately going to have to go and, and, and do it.
4: Is it easier for you guys to kind of coach a, uh, a player coming through the system that's kind of used to these things already and kind of can walk right in the cage and kind of know what you're talking about?
3: I think having some familiarity with, with all those things, yeah. You know, you're speaking a consistent language. Um, you know, I, I really think, you know, with all of you guys that are, are, are coaching, it's, it's how you connect with those players and it's how you present the information to them and why it's important, you know, and actually get them to buy in. Um, I think that's probably the, the biggest sticking point is, you know, them taking the ownership of their, their development.
1: And that's probably something, um, a piece that maybe gets glossed over is, is all these tools and all these, uh, these new training methodologies, whatever it may be, are, are awesome. But if, if you don't have the ability as a coach to truly understand them and, and kind of boil it down and be able to literally explain it to a child... Uh, then then they're probably not going to listen to you as a coach because it's like, I think most athletes, we all have experienced this. You can kind of tell when somebody doesn't really know what they're talking about. And they're like, oh, we're just going to do this today. And it's kind of just flippant. I've seen this with other coaches uh, in other scenarios where it's like you get kind of like that new toy and it shows up for like a week or two and then all of a sudden it's gone. You know, like, oh, I thought this was like a mainstay, which is is a a big difference that we we're trying to do at the the training center is like, no, these tools are part of your day in, day out development and you're gonna learn to master them uh, and and then we're gonna hold them uh to actually you know making you better. It's not just a gimmick in the cage to get you to pay, you know, fifty bucks for for my, for the hour of my time. So um let's uh let's dive kinda of a little bit into that the environments. Is is there any other like environmental type constraints that you guys use and um, I know Eric kind of talks about like the the, uh, the netting and, and giving guys focus and saying okay, we're not going to hit ground balls to the pole side. Uh, any, anything that you guys like to use or is kind of like your go-to?
3: Um, you know, go-to, I, I think it really, you know, we try to bucket guys as much as we can based on, you know, movement profiles, their profile as, you know, their, their, their path to the major leagues. So, you know, I think with some of those environments, especially in like a instructional league or, or a hitting camp, you know, we'll have guys doing certain certain types of, of work, not spring training, you know, it's it's a crapshoot. It's it's you know herding cats at that point and just trying to get your hands on as many people as you can. But um, you know, I probably don't have a great answer to like specific ones we go to, but you know, trying to tailor to, you know, each individual player in, in their bucket.
2: Yeah, I think uh just to kind of echo that, um during, you know, your hitting camps and instructionally, you can get a little bit more specific with guys. And, you know, it's definitely an individualized plan um, as far as player development and what constraints and what tools and different, um, you know, pieces of tech that you're going to implement for each guy. Um, But, yeah, during spring training, it's definitely a little bit more challenging. You have a ton of guys that you're trying to get reps in and kind of see. Um, And then during the season, you know, you have your specific times, you know, for early work where, you know, maybe you're implementing some different constraints and tools um, or setting a VP a certain way. Um, but, you know, it's always a balancing act, balancing act between, you know, managing your individualized plan and then kind of like your overall team plan and what that looks like with your 12 to 13 hitters. Um, so I think that's kind of where, you know, your coaching feel kind of comes into play. Like, all right, what do these guys need today? Um, you know, let's, you know, give them something something good for the team, um, maybe something challenging, some type of competition. um, But at the same time, like, all right, how do we kind of individualize that and and where does that kind of come into play? Um, So it's definitely a good balancing act as far as
3: uh, how you create that environment. I think that's a great word you use too, balance, especially during the season with, you know, our what are we valuing are we valuing you know the practice part of it because at some point you know we are at like the lower levels you know with them you know developing those those skills but we also have to be you know cognizant that at seven o'clock the bell rings every night and competition is the only thing that matters you know mm-hmm. not you know our rap soto you know the consistency of our contact like no we gotta like move a runner we gotta get a guy in from third we gotta do all the little things that win games so you know it's finding that that balance where you know what are we actually valuing at this level
1: and that was one i think
0: question one question yeah, i got sorry. for you guys both is uh you know i know that this you guys kind of mentioned like the hecticness of spring training um when you guys got into the seasons were you guys able to work really individually with players and kind of utilize those buckets like chris was talking about or was it something where you were kind of still having so many guys at so many different points um, and putting so many different focuses that you would just more have that team focus and, and kind of then be able to individualize as you talk to the guys.
3: I think on the individual stuff, you know, like you really value, and I'm sure Tiger will, will say the same, like you value cage flow, you know, like you do the work as a coach preparing, you know, your plan for each player, you know, setting up early work, whatever, you know, and as the season progresses, you that you know, that starts getting looser because, you know, people just normally come at like a certain time. You know you still have your plan um so there is some individualization but then once you get into like a, a bp setting you know it's more of the the team or the culture of you know how we're going to attack that pitcher or you know the, the focus of what we're trying to accomplish
2: awesome. yeah no definitely um i think that you know chris kind of nailed it but uh sorry we... we got the dog barking in the background here. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, yeah, no, Chris, Chris kind of nailed it. Um, definitely the balance is
1: important. Um, yeah. Sorry. Awesome. No, no, that's fine. What, and that's, this is something, uh, individualization is probably the, the biggest thing that we've been talking about for the last, I don't even know, year and a half, two years. So, okay, how, how do we meet the needs of every individual, but balance with, Kids care about winning games. and We need to make good baseball players. But how can we, in a team setting, especially when you have, you know, let alone, you know, you said, I think you said herding cats. Like it's, it's you get 15, 12-year-olds in a facility it is controlled chaos is like not even a nice way of putting it. Um, and so like those buckets that you were talking about, Chris, we, we've been discussing this uh, and some debating on, on what are the buckets that we need to focus on. Um, if you can like what are those those individual uh, aspects that you guys look towards and kind of train towards
3: sure you know like in a in a I guess like an instructional league or a um, hitting camp setting you know we can get as granular as we want depending on the personnel that we have there um, you know as starting with like a movement profile, you know, we'll, we'll put like looser movers together, we'll put stiffer movers together, because we're not going to train them the same way, you know, in, in that type of setting. Um, if we're in more of like a spring training type setting, then it becomes more like culturally focused, you know, with what we're trying to accomplish in, in those buckets, um, as well as, like I said, the, the player's trajectory to the big leagues. Like we're not going to have some of our burners or our low impact guys trying to elevate the ball and on the, you know, on the flip side, you know, with the guys that we need to get the ball in the air, you know, we're going to value, like you said, you know, nets on the left side of the field, like we're, we're trying to elevate the ball and, and do things like that. So, you know, just based on the whole holistic approach, that's kind of how we
1: bucket our guys. Is Tiger, is, is there kind of your go-to, like, um, I categorize hitters with this way and then that allows me to individualize to their needs?
2: For sure, yeah. Um, We definitely take a look at individualization um, and working with, you know, like Chris had mentioned, movement profiles um, and just working well with our strength and conditioning staff and athletic trainers and kind of like how guys are moving and how they need to be working. Um, And then along with, you know, the mental skills coach and you know, just trying to combine, like, everybody's different specialties, working on one common goal to uh, to develop your hitter, you know, the best way you can. Um, and then you've got, you know, your hitting coach for, you know, some of your swing skills type things, um, you know, maybe mechanics-based, approach-based, um, different things like that. But, you know, during the season, at least for me last year, going through, you know, my first year with the Cardinals, um, you definitely – you know, have to take some time to build those relationships and that trust with the players, Um, and that takes some time, you know. So for me, I think probably the first month or two months, it was just kind of getting to know the guys, like what works well for them, um, you know, how they had success in the past, what's their routine, you know, what drills, cues do they like, how do they learn best, um, how do they want their feedback. how to make that loop you know pretty tight from from myself getting back to them whether you know we're implementing technology or video or whatever the case may be um and then you know after the first couple of months it started you know you started clicking and it's like okay we've got the trust we've got the relationship and then that's when it's like okay as a coach you know i was able to be prepared with the information so when players came to me it's like okay now i've got some good stuff for you okay now let's roll um but that process definitely took some time um really just about learning your guys and like really getting getting to know them as people um you know i'm sure we've all kind of been there where you lose a kid because you kind of try to jump in too quick um and it's great you know you have this awesome individualized program for them and you know you're like oh i got all this good stuff for you like this is what we need to do boom 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 and it's like, oh, but the timing wasn't right. Like, oh, the relationship wasn't there. And then you lose a kid. And it's like, man, now we're like, you know, swimming uphill trying to trying to figure that out. Um, so I definitely think, you know, the timing of, of having those individualized plans and when it comes is super important. And, you know, every kid and every player development plan, you know, there's, you know, context of, of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish is, is important. You know, maybe it's... Uh, and swing change where you got to get them outside of a competitive environment or you know maybe it's something like a little small tweak that you can get accomplished in a you know in a minor league season and it's like all right we're just going to do you know some small like maintenance type stuff um so you just kind of got to be aware of like what your timing is and um obviously with instructional leagues and uh you know um off seasons you have a little bit more time and, and less competitive environment where you can kind of do some cool stuff um so it really depends on a lot of different factors.
3: You get you get one bullet too, you know, it's mm-hmm. like the, the timing of it. And, you know, Andy Haynes is, is, has been a mentor of mine and he talks about how you prepare for months for a two-minute conversation, you know, okay. and you're, just, you're sitting there waiting, you know, for that right time to like set the hook with a guy when he, when he needs you, when he comes to you, now you've got mm-hmm. him instead of, you know, we all have great information, you know, all the tools we have, we're all, you know, we want to jump in and do the best for the player. But, you know, sometimes you got to let them go before they, you know, you can get them back and, and really, you know, get them to buy into what they're doing, then jumping in. And that, that was a message I had for our coaches this year. It was like, man, you all have the job. We're all We're all in this together. We just, you know, wait. Timing is huge. We get one bullet with these guys, you know, build relationships first. So then we have them the whole season. Because to your point, you know, you lose somebody, now it becomes a grind the whole year, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's that's probably yeah, that's something that. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I say that's, that's probably something that we we have um we have are fortunate to have where, uh, players seek us out that you know they're looking for a team to play on they're looking for a coach to hit with they're looking for a strength coach to get into the gym and get bigger and stronger so there's they're already open to some of the stuff that we have to say, and then we can add that uh, that assessment and individualization component to say hey here's how we're going to help you as an individual. Uh, and, we, and I think that also shows a level of, okay, here's how we care. Because uh, sometimes in the team setting, you get lost. You have players that are like, oh, coach hates me. He doesn't play me at all. It's like, no, just right now with the way the team is, you're just not getting A-Bs. You're not getting in the game. Um, or with, with you know, in practice where a coach is working with you and, um, you know, there's the players that are literally doing everything right so you never say anything to them. And then they think, oh, coach hates me. He never talks to me at practice, never gives me any instruction. You know, kids, kids process and people process attention as care and love. So I think, I think the, the, this entire process is, is, it's, you know, um, we're, we're pretty fortunate with, with the, the setup we have at the TC.
0: Dan, yeah, to kind of go with what you were talking about, one of the things that you mentioned was that idea of um, kids who think that, that we don't care because we aren't giving them as much attention. I feel like that's a great one to kind of, you know, talk about as well, because a lot of the times those kids you don't want to overcoach them. They're doing something so well that it's, you know, like if I go in there and I want to overcoach them, they, they might all of a sudden get into bad habits. They might even get into their head about something. Uh, their approach might change. So that's a great point, I think, as well, is just remembering it. And it kind of goes back to what Chris and Tiger were both saying, is you do have one chance to kind of connect with them, where if you have that relationship built, then you have that ability to make those changes or to basically just sit there and, and be quiet and let them kind of figure things out on their own and what they can do with it.
1: Yeah, there's there's like a, a million things off this little nugget right here that I want to dive into, but um, we have, like, for, again, like the last, what, six months, eight months, um, as we kind of prepared for the this group of athletes who are coming in, uh, for hopefully in the summer, we'll we'll see, but hopefully this summer, um, we've been diving into an assessment to help individualize to their needs. Um, Brian and, and Eric, do you guys want to kind of dive into some of the buckets that you guys are, are using with hitters?
4: Yeah, we've uh... – you know, we kind of put our heads together and actually consulted Tiger a little bit on this too, as far as like how we're going to group hitters this summer. And you know, we're going to have a, a high volume, probably at least 60 in this program. You know, maybe even more if if, if the minor league season and the and the collegiate summer leagues kind of keep shutting down. Um, but we've kind of come up with five groups that we're going to bucket in this summer. And and within that, we can individualize, of course. You know, within those those buckets, but. Kind of the big ones we're going after are uh, time to contact you know so guys that are really slow on the k vest uh, going after that uh, high attack angle low attack angle um, those are those are a couple that we definitely want to focus on uh, bat speed group so guys that just either either just really need a boost in their bat speed to even get to a functional level or maybe they're in a really good spot and, and two miles two three miles per hour on their bat speed can kind of really take them to the next level and then that fifth group is just the challenge or maintenance group group, you know, guys that are in a really good place with their numbers and their swing, and it's just all about kind of creating a cool environment to kind of challenge them and stimulate them and and make sure they stay where they are.
0: Yeah, and the challenge group, I think, is one of those ones that kind of goes back to that previous point about guys that we don't want to overcoach, the guys that are just going to be challenged by the environment, um, by some of those constraints and being tested. Um, Those are the guys that we feel like have an opportunity to really Make some big jumps uh, you know once they get to the college level or as they're getting into the college level um, and keep going, going from there. Um, some of those other ones uh, we've obviously put a lot of their focus from our technology standpoint from our KVEST, from the BLAST, from Hit Tracks, um to kind of gain all as much data as we could about them and give us a, a good plan moving forward. Um, obviously I think one of those ones that Chris mentioned is movers is a big one where Having Dan in-house is, is helpful to know, you know, some of those movement profiles that are going on with guys and give us a little bit better understanding of, of different situations.
1: You guys, as far as uh, some of those buckets that we, you know, Eric kind of broke down, you guys have any, I guess, feedback on, hey, like, um, here, here's, an, this is, that is an area definitely you should, you should focus on, uh, especially with the younger athletes, because, that's one of the areas that we need to clean up right away. Like if somebody comes into uh, into the minor league system and we're like, oh, yep, that's easy. We're going to fix that and we're going to start theirs. Any, any feedback on those buckets? Um, you know, I think
3: depending on your population, I think those the buckets are probably stay pretty fluid, I would assume for you guys. You know, like as those guys get older to the, like college professional type ranks, you know, the ability to impact the ball is, you know, immensely important. So I think that's that's one um, you know, with however you, you want to go about that, be it bat speed or, you know, like movement type, like posting or what what you need to do to create that. But I think that's a big one, at least for us at the pro level, that if you don't hit the ball hard, you're not going to advance through the levels. That's like a, a baseline foundation for us that, you know, at, at up until A, you know, your biggest goal is to hit the ball hard.
1: Tiger, and anything for you as far as, I know we've already kind of had this conversation a little bit, but um, any feedback on, on those categorizations?
2: No, I think Chris echoed it um, and, and said it well. Um, and I'm just going to say the same thing, but you got to be able to hit the ball hard and impact the baseball. Um, so that's definitely, you know, a major key. And like you kind of mentioned, we've talked a lot up through it um, on some of the other buckets, but uh, yeah, you guys are definitely in a good spot.
1: Yeah. I think the, the big takeaway that I got from Arc talk a little while back was like, all these buckets are awesome. And Chris, you of talked about this too. All of this training individualization, all this is awesome. Um, but if it doesn't actually make us better in games, uh, then, then none of it matters. So I think that was kind of a big takeaway where I, I personally, as, as the strength coach, I'm a numbers guy, right. I kind of get stuck in the numbers world where all that matters is more on your deadlift or more on this or more on that. And so it's like, Oh, well, more is better. And it's like, well, no, no, no. Like, what matters is actually making good ball players, And I think, um, you know, the, and I, I want to transition into kind of the tech that we're using, but I think, I think the tech uh, as a whole is getting kind of, it, you, you have this, like, it is a polarizing type topic, but I think the message we as a coaches are trying to get across, and uh, you guys, if you want to um, give us some feedback on this is, the tech is only there for us, not only to assess, but also to hold us accountable to actually making you better. I think uh, that's probably a big piece. So the, I think a huge advantage that um, Eric has given to, to Ryan and I as coaches is, you know, we have KVAS, we have BLAST, we have HITREX, we have vision training, we do video analysis, um, you know, we're trying to basically create a pro level experience for youth players. Um, is there any pieces of tech that you guys kind of lean on and, and really enjoy using and um, have seen it being helpful to actually develop players?
3: Um, Tiger, do you want to take that one? I mean, I can, I can lead in, um, you know, I think all, you know, we're fortunate to have so many pieces of technology. And I think, you know, that, that question can go a lot of different directions because there's different pieces that are more valuable for different types of players. You know, like if we're, if we're focusing on, you know, an attack angle or or getting the ball in the air, you know, we're going to really lean on probably some of the blast type stuff or you know dig in with Kvest you know with with their 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 vendors and stuff like that but um i think it's really case by case you know i, I wouldn't say we, there's like one thing that we really dig in like this is our our always go to because there there's so many different scenarios for everything
2: yeah um definitely agree um i think that it's all based on your player and how you're going to utilize it best. The one thing I would say from a coaching standpoint is it definitely holds your coaches accountable. Um, you know, just the kids now, you know, they have so much education and prior knowledge using the tech. So they come in with this understanding where, you know, as a coach, it's like, they're going to, they're quick to fact check you and, you know, Hey, you know, whatever and call you out. So as a coach, it definitely holds you accountable. Um, and, you know, you see both sides where it's like, oh, like, who's not really using it, you know, in the best way. And then kind of like, that's your one bullet, right? That's your one shot that Chris was talking about, like, and if you get exposed, then it's like, okay, well, that kind of hurts your credibility. Whereas, you know, on the flip side of it, it's like, okay, if you stay ahead of the tech and there's like, you know, so much different technology out there, like Chris mentioned, and as you guys know, but if you kind of stay ahead of it and you have that understanding and that, you know, that experience using it, then when somebody asks or you're working with a player that has like a deep knowledge of it, say a college guy from like a top university, they have every single piece of tech out there. Then it's like, okay, you can connect with that guy. And that's the key, I think. So I think for, from the coaching standpoint, like having that understanding and knowing, you know, enough about everything um, where, you know, obviously you're not going to be an expert in everything, especially as it's new, but to have a conversation with a kid and like, like has something to say, it's like, okay, here we go. Now it creates that relationship and, you know, you kind of get that buy-in and anything to help player buy-in I think is huge. Um, So, you know, everybody likes different kinds of tech, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the player buy-in and, you know, getting them to kind of do what, you know, the organization wants them to do and what you want them to do as a hitting coach. So.
3: The technology to validate everything that we do as well. You know, it validates the coach's eye. It validates the feels that the player has. You know, I think, you know, between those two things and then having the the actual data to, to reinforce it, you know, it's like they're, we're not guessing, you know, not that, you know, you know, baseball's been around for hundreds of years. Like, we haven't been guessing then either. But, you know, now there's actually, like, hard numbers to quantify the things that, like, we actually see on
4: a day-to-day basis.
0: I got a question for both you guys. So i was just been uh, finishing up the book, Swing Kings. And so obviously a lot of guys uh, have gone through this change where they've been working with so many different, um, at least hitter, hitting coaches, guys outside of the organizations. Uh, is that something that you guys feel like with your ability to utilize technology and, and data and, and all this new stuff now, has that made it harder or easier for you guys to kind of connect with guys who are working with different hitting coaches outside of the season once they come back to the season?
3: I know in my position, I try to have a relationship with as many people, you know, know where those guys are going and be able to just to touch base with those guys and keep in contact with, with the player and, and as well as like the facility with, with some of those dudes. Um, you know, I think that keeps like the loop closed, you know, that you, you know, where they're going, there's trust there. We're speaking the same language, regardless if it's, you know, with us during the season or with somebody else in the off season, um, you know, I think where some of that stuff can get a little muddy is when the season starts and games matter. You know, because now it's production and posting, and you know, like you got to put up, and it's not about you know a controlled like vacuum of like a a facility type or a or a cage setting within pro ball. You know.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I think it's really important to create those relationships. Um, And the players, you know, in the off-season, they're going to go where they're going to go. So if you have an understanding of what's being taught and a relationship with that instructor, I think that's huge. Um, uh, The past couple off-seasons, I've been lucky enough to study with some, some good guys down in Southern California that work with a lot of players. And I've just been, you know, fortunate where you run into that player and you're like, oh, yeah, I know you worked with Craig or Doug or, you know, Eugene or whoever. And it's like okay, now you have that, that instant, like, bond, so now the relationship's really strong, and the player trusts you, and then that feedback loop, like, is, is a lot tighter, um, and it's just easier to get on the same page when you know what that instructor wants to teach. Everybody's kind of got their own style, and, um, you know, like, once you kind of have an understanding of, like, what that style is, then you can kind of help that guy through some of those, some of those trials and, uh, And different things throughout the season. So that helped me a lot last year. Um, And we had a lot of California kids, um, you know, on my team last year. And so a lot of those guys hit with the guys down in SoCal. So that was just a nice, uh, a nice transition.
0: Yeah, and the reason I bring that question up is, is one of the areas that we're trying to build up in this area is that connection between like the club, the club programs or the travel teams and the high schools, because we feel like there can be sometimes a disconnect as we get into that where guys have been working with us and then all of a sudden their high school coaches are telling them a little bit different or different situations. Um, so that's, that was awesome to hear from both of you guys. Thank you.
1: So we've been kind of have a theme of this balancing component. And uh, we've, we've been trying to tip the balance of, of what we're doing in the training center from heavily assessing. We've, we've done, I think we've gotten to the point where we're very comfortable in the ability to assess the hitters that come through the facility. Um, but we want to start using the, the technology and us as coaches and the environment and all these tools to actually develop. Uh, I guess, Tiger, if you want to kind of dive into this as far as uh, what are the ways that you kind of utilize and leverage some of this the, the, these tools to actually make impact uh, on, on players?
2: Yeah, I mean, each piece of technology is, is different, um, so to go into each one, it would, you know, obviously take a long time, but I think that there's definitely lots of different ways in which it can be beneficial when you start looking at, you know, actually getting guys better. Um, I would say the number one thing and that I would like, you know, um, from a movement standpoint is just watching the video and breaking down the video. I think that's gonna be, you know, the ability to make your biggest changes um, and really, you know, help guys get better. Um, Like we kind of touched on before, the technology is definitely a measurement. Um, to kind of, you know, quantify some of those things that you're looking for, um, and kind of hold yourself accountable as a coach. And then, you know, kind of get the players to like understand where they're at. Um, but yeah, the video doesn't lie. Um, and that's definitely a good way to kind of track your progress. And, you know, we kind of talked about it on our last call, but, you know, being able to, you know, make, have an assessment where you're starting out and then you okay, here we are now, and then just kind of blending your drill or feel or whatever the case may be with that video, and is it working? Okay, great. It's not working. Okay, we got to regress and go back into more of a controlled environment and kind of going through that um, that process of progression and regression and um, pairing it with the video so that you can see um, really what's going on, um, and obviously, you have other pieces of technology as well that you can, you know, use to hold guys accountable and, and measure. So um, yeah, that's kind
1: of, that's kind of the, how I see it. Chris, is, is, is there, I mean, I mean, if I want to kind of spin this question just a little bit for you um, where from a development standpoint, uh, if we can, you know, maybe speak a little more to the, the youth side of things, you look at a uh, the average high school baseball player uh, as a hitter. What would you say, okay, hey, this is the area that you need to develop and you need to, you need to get better at if, if you want to have a shot at playing as many games as possible in your career?
3: Um, you know, from a physical standpoint, I think, you know, we all know mass matters. So, you know, just overall physical strength for those guys, really focusing on that is going to help them, you know, sustain the, the grind of a, a minor league season, a major league season. Um, and I think some of those um, undersized guys, um, their mechanics – um I guess uh I don't know, try to they mimic their their mass, right? So some of those like lighter guys fire from the top, right? They're trying to create bat speed, they're trying to do more, get more out of their frame. So um, you know, as far as a development standpoint, you know, at least for us, our lower levels are just focused on, you know, adding size, adding mass, hitting the ball hard. Um, and then as we progress, we're going to start, you know, polishing that stone with, you know, whatever you're profiling as, you know, if we need to get the ball in the air more, if you need to get on base more, prioritize contact, whatever that may be. But um, at least for our guys that are just cracking in for high school guys, our biggest,
1: biggest focus for them is adding, adding size. Eric, I feel, I feel like we're, we're probably, you know, getting to be able to say that I told you so, because this is kind of obviously becoming a theme. For, for the conversations we've had with some other minor leaguers and other coaches, um, and it's a big one for for you. Like it, I feel like uh, your message is always get good enough.
4: Yeah, for sure. And you know they both said it perfectly. And um, yeah, hopefully some of, some of our players and families listen to this. I think you know a big issue at the younger ages, but particularly in high schools, they start to think about getting recruited for colleges and stuff like that. Is is they get caught between kind of you know being a man and a boy, and and, and physically and mentally, you know. Um, we preach to them constantly to get bigger and stronger, particularly the guys that aren't big and strong. So if they're not big and strong, you know they kind of have to check their ego a little bit, and parents got to kind of put their bias away and just say like, okay, like yes, this is a weakness, and it's 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 hard for a lot of young players and and for parents to kind of admit that their kid has a weakness, um, and and so they kind of get caught there, and between those two those two worlds, it needs to happen, but. You know, you know. Obviously, we have some high-level hitting coaches on here, and then and then we know as as coaches that like, hey, you're, yes, you, yes, you're gonna have to swing the bat this hard, and yes, your exit velocity is gonna have to be here if you're gonna play at the upper levels, and and there's no way around it. And kind of the, the thing I always say is that, you know, try to be the rule, don't don't try to be the outlier. You know, like try to get to where the group is. Don't don't depend on, you know, maybe they'll notice me anyway because it's just it's, it's a really tough way to make it.
3: Yeah, I, I I think you know you you hit the nail on the head too, and just something to add like time for all of us, you know, like for the younger guys in development and then pro ball, you know, there is some urgency, but you know, like you put a pizza in the oven for 15 minutes, it's done in 15 minutes. We're not going to have it be done in 12 minutes, you know, like it takes time in this evolution of all of this. Like you're not going to get to rookie ball at 180 pounds and then think you're going to go to the big leagues the next year. Like maybe some guys do, but, you know, there there is some component of you know we need to be patient as an industry getting these guys you know to where they need to be.
1: I think this uh, we've been we've been definitely talking about. Sorry, Ryan, do you have have something you yeah, want go to go ahead?
0: Say? That I just I thought Chris's analogy with the putting the pizza in the oven was a good one. I had to write down.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's the especially on the youth side of things. It's the the instant gratification. Like I want to be like, I want to be a big leaguer right now. I'm I'm six. I mean, we have it's, uh, Eric has some players in his program. They're twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old, and they're six four, six five. It's like you are a man's body, but you have a twelve year old's body control. <laughs> like uh, I think, I think, and then and then you have the pressure from the the parents. You have the pressure from the game. You have the pressure from all these different areas that that are uh, um, affecting that that athlete's mentality and and their ability to produce. So. Um, I think we've been definitely talking about a lot of the building blocks uh, and, and Ryan, I know this is a big one for you. The, we've been talking about the building blocks of a good athlete, a good player, a good hitter. Um, I think the next level and the part that, again, why we're so excited, uh, Eric and I, uh, to have Ryan as part of our staff um, is building adaptable and consistent hitters. Um, Chris, if you want to kind of dive into this and just, okay, what does it mean to be adaptable? Uh, and then where do you look for consistency? What, what metrics do you use? What, like, how do you even measure and define that?
3: Sure, I mean, adaptable. I think is the name of our game, right? We're we're not pitchers. We don't control the ball. We're we're reactionary all the time. So you know, we need to be in that position, knowing that. Um, you know, I think a lot of the stuff, if we're going to talk about adjustability, that goes through development. Um, you know, knowing and setting expectations at the lower levels, or even you know, um, in in youth baseball, that you know, there's going to probably be more swing and miss as they're developing. You know, their plan or their their approach and. Um, really, kind of figuring out who they are. Um, as far as consistency, you know, I think that really matters more as you go up the the the, the levels um, because production starts to matter. You know, at the lower levels, and you guys work in a in a very tough industry as well. With you know the the youth players that are trying to get get drafted or go to college, you know, they're trying to put up numbers. So it's almost like a high level, you know, professional where, like, numbers at the end of the day matter, not your K-Vest reading or your, you know, your launch angle or your, you know, consistency of contact, you know, because at the end of the day, like, can we trust you? Can you get to the big leagues and help the team win? Um, so I, I don't know if I did a good job explaining that, but um, that's kind of the way we
1: we go through, like, level-by-level level progressions with our guys. Tiger do you have, have any, as, as far as kind of uh-huh. d- developing that, that uh, adaptable hitter and, like, how how do you you um, define that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely is the name of the game. Um, Adjustability is key. You know, we're facing pitchers now that are better than ever. Um, You know, with pitch design and tunneling, um, it's obviously a really challenging time to be a hitter, and you have to be able to, you know, get an efficient position and then be able to get off consistent swings and be able to, you know, adjust to that late break. if you want to have a chance to play at a high level. Um, and then, like Chris said, as you're moving up from, you know, lower levels of the minor leagues to upper levels, like consistency is definitely a big key factor in that. Um, and I think it comes – it kind of all wraps around, you know, your swing decisions and being able to, you know, take that tough 1-1 one, one pitch in the dirt, you know, to get to that 2-1 pitch, and now you're in a better count where you can, where you can do some damage. Um, so, you know, the ability to make swing decisions and – have late takes um, get yourself in positive count so you can you know do some damage I think is is really really key um, key parts of the consistency obviously um, it's a little bit different than you know the swing component um, but definitely a a very important piece to uh, to creating that consistency that uh, that you're talking about so
3: I think both, both parts too, um, and I just wrote this down, it popped in my head, but the, the overarching theme for us is like the ability to hit off time, right? We can all get our A swing off when it's perfect, but the, the hitters that get to the big leagues, the hitters that play for a long time, all can hit off time when it's not perfect.
0: That's a great one, Chris. I think that's a, a big one that young kids don't recognize as much uh, or it isn't as important to them. They think that every swing is going to be an A swing, um, and getting them to understand that there's times where you are beat. Like, there's times where you're off in your timing. There's times where your load's long, or there's something that happened. Um, and you still got to compete. And I think that's one of the ones that's really interesting about the consistency piece. Even Tiger was kind of bringing that up, is um, so many of our kids not really nothing, understanding their approaches yet, um, trying to adapt to their approaches as they grow and as they, as they find things. Um, you know, the one that, that Tiger said about finding that 1-1 one, one pitch and taking it to get to that, uh, that positive count. Um, those little things are the things that I think is what changes those young hitters from being good to great. Is being able to understand those little things and adapting those um, into their swing to understand that, you know, if we give ourselves the, the most amount of time to see the ball and to adjust to it, it gives us our best chance to to make as much contact as we possibly can. Um, we have all seen, you know, the game of baseball has had an increase in strikeouts because of how good these pitchers are. And it's not, you know, anything to as hitters to shy away from. I think, if anything, it's more of just – Absorbing that and then understanding like, okay, we know these guys are going to come at us with really good stuff. Like we just got to be consistent in in what we're looking for and how we approach it. And and that's kind of my thoughts with this entire idea of uh, adaptability and consistency with guys.
1: I think this is one of the, when we sat down for one of the assessments with uh, one of the dub players, um, I think this side of things, if, if you want to separate yourself, like you have this kind of, again, balance, We need physical development. We need to be bigger, stronger. We need to be faster. Uh, I think the other side of it, if if you want to make inroads and really want to take yourself to the next level, baseball IQ is an area that is um, like massively under uh, trained, undersold on right now, where you have a lot of like freak athletes that have no clue how to play the game of baseball. So if you want to separate yourself, no matter what level you're at, um, your ability to do some of these little things that you guys are talking about, uh, especially as a hitter, um, you'll find your way into the lineup more often and, and you might not be the biggest stronger faster guy but you're the guy that consistently goes out and produces and i, I think that is a piece that um we are trying to balance as as the training center We're okay we, we want we want to train athletes and, and build athletes and develop them but we still need to still need to balance that with with okay you need to go out and actually help your team win like it's great that we could post a kid's exit being 100 miles an hour but if he's going out and striking out every two or three at bats his high school coach is like screw you guys I'm not (laughs) this kid's not any better like he did that last year and he's doing it again like that doesn't that's not helping anybody so
4: I can jump in there Dan just a huge focus of ours probably about the past half year or so has just been implementing decision making in the hitting environment as much as possible Uh, the kids don't like it because they're not in there swinging you know but I think I I think the variance in pro ball is about 39 to 54 percent of the pitches that you know a, a hitter actually swings at. So why are we in a, in, a, in a cage environment where they're swinging 95% of the time? You know, so we've really tried to kind of adjust each of our stations or, or, or drills to kind of make sure that they're making a decision. And it's sometimes as simple as like, hey, like you can swing at the blue plows and take the white ones. So at least they have to have some kind of a mental engagement and make a decision with every one of their swings. Uh, something that they really hate that I do is I'll, I'll put the, the slider machine at the bottom of the zone and then you know, if they take a slider down, we we say good. You know, we praise them. Um, so I think you know, just simple things like that uh, can create the right environment, and that'll really kind of create hitters that adjust and, and are consistent in their approach, and and you know, make better decisions. Because you know, when when you boil down to it, I mean, hitters have to make decisions every pitch in, in milliseconds. Um, so I think it's super important area of of this kind of point we're talk, we're talking about. I
3: think that that's a huge point for us. You know, and I think you nailed it. Um, it takes the emphasis off of the result and puts it back on the process, you know, because we all played, right. We've all looked up and you look at the board and you're hitting, you know, 210, like, Oh my God, you know, your ego is so tied to that. um, That, you know, for us reinforcing our players, you know, you work through an at bat the next day, we give them kind of like an after action report. And it's like your decision-making was spot on. You went over four and you grounded out and you lined out, you know, but you swung at the right pitches. You took the right pitches. Like, Yesterday was a win outside of, you know, your, your line result. But like over the course of the season, that's going to balance out the more positive decisions you make, you know, at the end of the year, as your career evolves, you know, like those are all quality things that you're going to do in your development.
1: So the, uh, I guess the next, next piece that I, I want to ask, and maybe this is me being a little bit selfish but uh, we've been talking about uh, and profiling different hitters and it's kind of given us themes um, from a movement standpoint. Uh, I know one of the big terms right now is kind of the loose mover versus the tight mover. It's been kind of big on on Twitter and, and on Instagram and social media and et cetera. Um, is that something that you guys uh, have you – know, you deal with? Like how do you – how do you uh, coach those athletes differently? Are there, are there any tendencies that you see with the, the loose mover versus the tighter mover? Um, you know, Tiger, is that is that something you kind of encounter uh, on a day-to-day basis? Um, I wouldn't say on
2: a day-to-day basis, but, you know, you definitely, we have our 12 to 13 hitters. Um, Chris will probably be able to touch on it more. You know, he's working with 100-plus hitters in his organization. But, you know, we have our 12 or 13 guys. We run them through, you know, FMS testing. Um, and our strength staff and training staff does a great job of, you know, outlining what those limitations may be Um, and you know we come up with a with a plan for each guy individualized and they've got their pre-game prep and stuff that they do in the you know in the training room and then they take it into the weight room and they've got some more you know drills and exercises that they do that all is going to help them when they get into the cage and we start doing you know cage type stuff Um, so you know everybody just does a good job to work together Um, and everybody's got their individualized program, and then we just rock and roll.
1: Chris, is that, is this something that you, we talked to er, really early, the the kind of the buckets, is this one of the buckets that you guys utilize?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, at, at, I guess, the most basic level, it it creates our baseline for these guys. Um, You know, having a a neutral mover, a tighter mover, a looser mover, Um, at least for us, Managing expectations. Number one, we're talking about decision making. Knowing that some of these looser movers, it's going to take them a lot more time to get to, you know, contact. So probably our bigger, longer limbed guys, um, more swing and miss, especially at the top of the zone. You know, like managing our expectations with that, um, and then as well as you know the tighter mover guys, um, they can back the ball up even further. Their decisions are later because they can get up to full speed quicker. Um, so, you know, kind of knowing that profile. And then as far as like the training component of it, um, we do our movement screen, we, we get all of that stuff. Um, and then we want to have them in like a safe range. And we're working with like strength and conditioning and ATCs on that stuff. Um, on both ends of the spectrum, you know, too loose, you have, you know, the ability to like oblique same side on the, you know, the tighter mover side too, right. Um, so just safety number one um, and then we're also not going to give the drill sets because majority of the time those looser movers um, are higher impact guys you know because of all that momentum coming so you know those guys are more of the elevate you know but really susceptible to the ball at the top of the zone so understanding that you know trying to get them to manage the top of the zone then actually like hit that you know it's like decision making to take or can you foul that off and earn yourself another pitch you know that that's kind of the approach we go with those guys and the tighter movers um, exit velocity tends to be you know I, I don't want to speak in broad strokes but um, a little lower than those bigger mover guys um, not that it's a bad thing but um, those are more like the high contact you know quicker time to impact guys so really train them in those constraints.
1: I, I think that the this is one I, at least maybe me personally but kind of just seeing a lot of coaches talk about maybe debate and argue is probably more appropriate but I think what i am taking away from you Chris is is there is no good or bad they're just it is what you are and we're going to do our best job to coach you
3: yeah and be the best you you know I think it's irresponsible for us to try to profile somebody into a into a lane or into a bucket that they can't physically do you know and especially in pro ball like our window is so small that like you know we have to be spot on because we have these guys' careers in our hands. You know, like if we're if we're just guessing and throwing stuff against the wall, like that's really unfortunate for these people that buy in, and we've led them down the wrong path. So, you know, like we have that responsibility as coaches. You know, all of us do at whatever level we're we're, we're working at.
1: Well, that was I I, I think that was very appropriate in timing of kind of some of the conversations that have been coming out. Just because I think people have a little extra free time and idle hands can lead to. uh bad tweets. So, um, this next area, I think we, we, it's perfect timing with some of the things that we're doing within the, the double organization. Ryan put together an awesome challenge and I, I really sucked at it. Um, as the, called the game sense challenge where, uh, your pitch recognition, um, it, you had four pitchers you'd go to, you could get about, up to a thousand points. I got to about 495 points. So, you know, absolutely failing at the, the challenge, but, um, you know, Mental slash vision training, probably maybe a little bit more uh, biased towards that vision training. Um, Chris, is that something that you guys have been utilizing and, and something that you you trained with?
3: Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, we use uh, I'm not sure how proprietary. We we use a company called Neuroscouting, so we do um, vision training with all of our all of our affiliates. Um, all of our guys go through it daily, um, and then trying to get into more of um, you know I think the VR is really our next next step. Um, for this stuff Um, and then going back to like the bucket things you know I think there's a lot of growth that we can have there Um, training our players based on their movement profiles and all the technologies that we have you know your time to impact is slow so you know you need to make your decision so much further out front that you know we need to train in that area we're not going to train everybody the same way in a vision training or something like that like you need to get comfortable way out there to make your decisions and we should we should manage and track that out that that way like through occlusion or whatever it may be um compared to some of those like tighter movers or quick time to impact guys you know they can make their decisions later so let's train them in those those parameters
1: cool i i I guess uh, tying it all together like the even individualizing from the vision standpoint where yeah if you if you have a a quicker time to contact we we might need to adjust what the vision training that we're actually doing with you because you, you don't need to, you know, you don't, you don't need, you can make a decision in, in less time. So we, we got to, we can challenge you differently. Absolutely. Um, Tiger, you have any experience with, with vision training? Is there any, any uh, apps, tech, whatever, you know, kind of you guys you, you utilize?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, we're starting to kind of get into more of the virtual reality. Um, I know, you know, uh, at the big league level, Goldschmidt really, he really likes it. Um, My brother plays with the Dodgers and, you know, he's a big advocate um, along with um, Cody uh, Bellinger. He was, we were teammates early on in rookie ball and, you know, he's been a guy who's like, he takes a lot of time with it. Um, I think it's a little different for each person, but, you know, if you can create that value and it works within your routine, then, you know, more benefit to you. Um, But I think that's kind of like the next kind of phase of like where things are going. Um, and, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely value there. I think another component of it is just, like, having an idea when you're game planning of, you know, the pitch profile and, like, how guys' pitches move and what he's got, um, and so as you have an idea of, like, what that is and pairing it with video, then you can kind of really start coming up with your, your offensive game plan for, you know, your team and then specifically, like, each individual hitter um and you know kind of match up like okay what does this hitter do well versus how this pitcher is going to pitch him and now we come up with like an individualized plan for that guy um but it all kind of ties into your game planning and at the end of the day like as we get to higher levels of baseball you know it comes down to what's actually you know the production that's going on um so i think the you know the virtual reality of vision training tied in with like understanding like the what the pitcher's profile is and and what he can do with the ball and then what you do as a hitter kind of all ties into like, okay, here's our game plan and we need to go out and execute. Um, so it all ties into each other.
0: Chris, I want to bring up something. Obviously, you guys um, were kind of in the forefront in mental skills with uh, with Ken and obviously with John now being in kind of charge of that. Um, for both you and Tiger, maybe the question is, is, is mental stuff um, obviously kind of goes to what Tiger was just talking about and understanding pitchers, but also kind of understanding yourself. Um, how do you guys kind of utilize some of that mental stuff to, to help guys off the field as well as on the field?
3: I mean, we, we have as much of an emphasis on the mental skills as we do in, in any other, you know, silo of, of their development. Um, you know, I think we kind of talked about it earlier. The, these guys that can kind of rein that stuff in earlier you know, tend to be the guys that advance quicker, get to the big leagues. Um, they have more of that mental fortitude than some of these guys. And you see it with maturity, you know, compared to like a high school draft pick versus a, a college draft pick, guys that have a little little more salt uh, on them. Um, but, you know, it's been a huge thing, not not just for players, but also for coaches, you know, like we we lay in bed staring at the ceiling just as much as these guys do when they're struggling, you know, like they might take four at-bats, but we take 40 a night, you know. And, uh you know, that, that, like we grind on that stuff. So being able to have a resource for us to kind of bounce things off. And uh, Tiger talked about it earlier, you know, understanding and using them as a medium um, of how these guys learn, how they, how they take in information, you know, because we're not going to coach, you know, one way. You know, you have 13 hitters at an affiliate, uh, you know, you're going to coach them 13, you're going to put on 13 hats that day. And you, you know, it's, it's all how, you know, you need to connect with those guys. And I think mental, mental skills is a really good conduit for that.
1: Uh, yeah. it's it, it, for the for the youth player and I guess we'll, you know I'm gonna be to kind of keep reining it back to this again maybe being selfish but for the for the younger players out there um, do you guys have any words of advice from this mental training standpoint because um, I'll we'll talk about this a lot where uh, and we've all done it you you and Chris you alluded to it earlier we attribute our value and worth to how we are playing as a baseball player and uh, I think uh, again, balance. We're trying to balance with, okay, yes, we, those things do matter, but we're going to use these different metrics and tools and assessments to say, hey, yeah, you went over four over the weekend, but you as a swing, as a hitter, it wasn't, you know, wasn't bad. You're the same guy. You're, you're, you just just didn't get the outcome you wanted. Your process was awesome. So let's continue that consistency. But um, do you guys have any any words of advice to, to that young player that, that is looking to kind of get that mental edge? Yeah, you know,
3: I R- do. Oh, oh, sorry. Go
2: ahead. Sorry. sorry. Oh, all right. I'll jump on it first. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, you know Ken Revisa's uh, book, Heads Up Baseball. Um, we read it at University of Pacific, and that was a huge book that kind of changed my whole my whole career. Honestly, my whole mindset. Like diving in on that book was huge. So that's a you know a small investment for players at the youth level or or any level for that matter. Um, and it was just a huge tool. And it's a quick story about how that kind of changed my career. Um, when I was at UOP, I transferred there um, from a D3. And um, I was having some troubles um, in fall just with my defensive work. And uh, one of our coaches had come up to me one day and he was like, hey, you know, if you can't, uh, you can't clean up your fielding, like you're not going to be able to uh, to make this club. And that had just gotten in my head. And so every time I was fielding ground balls, I was thinking like, oh, if I miss this ground ball, I'm not gonna make the club. And so as you can kind of imagine, it's just a negative spiral. Um, so, you know, as reading this book, one of the one of the tips that, uh, you know, that was in the book was uh, visualization. And when I was with my dad fielding ground balls, like we would work out at Palo Alto High School and he'd hit me a whole bucket of ground balls. I'd miss none, you know, And so I just would vision myself. I'd sit and visualize and be like, okay. So when my dad hits me ground balls, like I field them all cleanly. When coach hits me ground balls, I miss a ton. What's the difference? So then I just implemented in my practice environment, like back in college, a little bit of visualization. Okay. I just pretend my dad was hitting me ground balls, whether it was practice or a game or whatever. And I just visualized him hitting it. And I changed my mindset to ground balls or outs. And then I was able to, you know, go and let my, let my tools kind of shine through. But if I wasn't able to like make that switch and like that visualization of like positive reinforcement, like, you know, I would have been that same guy just like beating his head against the wall, like trying to figure out why I couldn't like, it's not that I couldn't feel ground balls. Like I have the skill set to feel the ball It's just that mental block. Um, So anyway, the the book just touches on a couple of different things like focal points, visualization, positive self-talk, so anyways, it gives you a lot of different tools um, to use that are going to help you combat, like, stuff that goes on in the season, some adversity, and just overall life lessons. You know, I still use some of that stuff today.
1: Chris, any, any you know, advice to that, that young player that's just looking to to be confident on the field?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think,
1: you know, Tiger nailed it. That was awesome.
3: Um, you know, so I don't I don't really want to add too much on that because I think that was really powerful. You know, something something from Ken. You know that, and, and I know it can be cliche, but being comfortable, being uncomfortable. You know, what we do is messy. You know, we fail seven out of ten times, and we're supposed to be good. You know, um, so for for me and talking with my guys, um, you know, learning to take little wins and little victories every day. You know, being able to, you know, you moved to runner we do something called going two for six, you know, and you don't even need to get a hit to go two for six, but you, you help guys, you know, you move a runner, you steal a base, you walk, you score a run, you you know, whatever it may be of those six things, you know, you do that over the course of a week, over the course of a season, all the stuff's going to like play out. Um, So I I think that's a really big thing is finding those small victories on a day. You know, it could be your decision-making was spot on. I still went over four, but that's a good day you know, so being able to have those takeaways when when you do leave. Um, And I know all of us, you know, we're obsessed with what we do. Um, Being able to have an outlet, you know, I think I became a better player. And it took me until my first year in AAA to good game or bad game, I had to sit there and process before I went home. So I could be a better boyfriend, I could be a better son to my parents, you know, instead of leaving pissed off, being frustrated, and then, you know, being sour the rest of the day. So you know, being able to sit there process, you know, maybe it takes five minutes, maybe, you know, telling my girlfriend like, hey, uh, you know, I'll see you in two hours, I was a rough one, you know, like I'll walk home or whatever it may be, um, you know, so that was, that was a big thing. And then, like I said, having those outlets, being able to disconnect when you're at home, you know, it's like, you leave work, you take your hat off, you go home and you be home.
1: Well, uh, Eric, I wanted just to uh, briefly, if you kind of dive into the belt and, you know, the sheet that you have your coaches track over the course of the weekend to kind of maybe the the same version of that six uh, that you use to kind of track, like, quality ABs and, and that as far as the, the tournaments for the players.
4: Yeah, it's just something we've kind of used to try to, you know, make the players and the coaches and the parents more process oriented and, um, you know, it's kind of a pin in the butt, but, you know, I'll, I'll print out a roster and it with, whole bunch of different hitting categories and those categories are, are definitely more process related things. I mean, you know, uh, obviously hits are on there, but uh, deep fly balls, moving along runners, uh, you know, uh, eight pitch at bat, you know, things like that, that can kind of like, like Chris was saying, just kind of give them some wins in places maybe they aren't always looking for them, you know, uh, something I always say to the kids, because, you know, we have a lot of teams playing and, and there's oftentimes I don't get to see them play. I'll say, hey, how'd you do this game? And oh, I was one for four, I got a lot, I, you know, how was your base running? How was your defense? How was your pitching? You know, like, like, where you a great teammate? I'll say, I'll say that a lot, you know. Um, so we're just trying to push that that thought process of like, you know, you need to be a holistic player. You need to be good and, and solid in a whole bunch of different areas. It, it isn't about your batting average, you know, and same kind of thing. Like I said earlier, we all know that, um, you know, but communicating that and, and kind of creating a mindset in young players is a, is a whole new challenge. So it's just, you know, so what, what we do is the coaches keep track of all that stuff. And at the end of the weekend, uh, you know, that, that next pras- practice the next week, we have the WWE belts from Target. And uh, usually there's some candy involved. And uh, even our high school guys, you, know, you, you you put a belt out there with some cookies for for a 17-year-old high school junior, they'll fight each other, you know. So, um, you know, just, just some just – some, like I said, it's kind of some quirky things to do just to kind of create engagement and buy-in. Ryan, uh, this is
1: probably an area that, again – super pumped to have you as part of the, the staff and an and expertise that you bring to the table um, and something you've already started to implement with with all the players that you work with um, what, what are some of the go-to tools from a, a mental training standpoint that you like to utilize
0: yeah I think you know the one that we always talk about it's the first step is where's your breath because at the end of the day if you can control your breath you can control your mind um, the question for a lot of these kids is they don't really understand what that means they think oh I can control my breath they they don't realize like I, I breathe every day like I'm supposed to I'm supposed to control my breath. Um, but when your times get tough and, and your heart starts racing a little bit, it's it's a lot tougher to control your breath. Um, and I think that's one of those ones that I always just go back to for, especially for the young guys is just taking that big breath, refocusing, slowing yourself down. Um, you know, Ken was a big one on the, the, the stoplights. Uh, I think the stoplights is a huge one for young kids to start to learn um, and helping them to get a better understanding of when they're getting over, over emotional, over, um, overworked up, um, something where they can just find that center again, bring them back to that, that even. Um, and I think that even is, is one of those ones where, you know, we've talked about it a lot with all these high school guys who are, have this thought process of, I got to go and I have to make my next team. I have to get my next scholarship. Um, it's always focusing on the, the next thing instead of being present in what you're doing currently, um, understanding that this might be a, the tough time for you. you know, Being in your current position might be tough, and that's, that's where you have to kind of put the focus is, is being tough in that spot learning from it, adapting to it, um, and trying to gain as much as you can in that time frame. You know, Chris mentioned the idea of 1% better. That's that's a huge moniker for me, and, and one of the ones that I've always practiced is every day I can try and get a little bit better, and, and trying to have all those snowball together to build something even bigger than just this one day. Um, it, it kind of, I think that just encompasses everything that we kind of talked about in this, this podcast, is that idea of there is time, but the time is limited. It's fleeting. Um, so owning what you can today and doing as much as you possibly can is, is huge for your overall production.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And I, I, I think that's the perfect way to kind of end and cap off this this podcast. Um, Tiger, if you want to, and Chris, I'll have you both, if you guys just want to kind of give, if players have questions, I know, Tiger, there was a big one for you. If guys have things they want to ask you about, uh, how can people reach you? You know, social media handles, what, whatever it may be, What you got to give that and then we'll kind of close off the, the podcast.
2: Um, Yeah, I can be reached (laughs) via Instagram or Twitter. Um, Feel free to send a message either way. Um, But, yeah, Tiger Peterson. Um, And, you know, yeah, happy to answer any kind of questions. I am definitely want to be a resource, and especially during these times, I know, you know, they're tough for a lot of different people. And, um, you know, if I can be a positive resource, I definitely would love to help.
3: So reach out. Same, yeah. I'm always available. Um, I don't have much social media. I do have a Twitter, so at Sivaleka is my Twitter handle. Um, yeah, go ahead. Shoot me any messages or any questions, anything that you guys have. Um, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. So appreciate you guys having us on here.
1: No, I want to. I definitely want to thank you guys for this for your time. This is we've hit a ton of great talking points and, and crushed them. So again, thank you very much for for your time. Got
2: it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Be sure to follow us on Twitter
0: and Instagram at dubbaseball, at id3training, and at ozellabaseball. Thanks for joining us on the Talking Points Podcast. Until next time, keep
2: developing.